you've got your Bibles, we're going to continue our study in Galatians. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. Okay, if you guys are going to want to go to uh, uh, nursery, nursery, Patty's going to take uh, kiddos downstairs. So if you'd follow her out, that'd be great. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. We're going to continue that study. Uh, but this morning what I want us to, to look at and the idea of is what we do with the gospel today will matter tomorrow. Amen? What we, what we do with the gospel today will matter tomorrow. How we handle the word of God today will matter tomorrow. And if you're turning a deaf ear to the commands of God to repent and believe today... That will be to your own detriment, to your own demise tomorrow. If you're turning a blind eye to your sin today, that will be to your downfall tomorrow. You see, there's going to be two things that take place when you, when you put yourself in a, a body of believers where gospel-centered preaching is present. One of two things is going to take place. You're either going to repent and believe the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in his righteousness and his work on the cross. Or you're going to reject Christ and you're going to leave. There's no in between. There's, there's either repentance or you're going to leave. You say, well, what if I just stay and I don't do anything? You've left. You may be still in the building, but you've, you've still left. Um, so the idea is what we do with the gospel today will matter. So we're going to dive in and we're going to start in verse 7 of Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those that are in the household of faith. So the first thing we see in the text here is, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The wording here is very clear. There's no, we don't have to guess. We don't have any guesswork saying, I wonder what that means. I wonder why, what that text means. Is, is there another meaning behind the idea of don't be deceived, God's not mocked? No, it's, the wording is very clear. The idea here is do not fool yourself into thinking that you're going to trick God. Like we as human beings think we're going to trick God someday. We're going to figure out a way to finagle and get around him and trick him. Don't be deceived. God will never be mocked. You will never fool him. You'll never trick him. God cannot and will not be tricked by human beings. <laughs> the creation will never trick the creator. He knows all things, including you, including me. He knows our hearts. He knows our desires. He knows our intentions. He knows all things. You will never make a fool out of God. Rather, you'll make a fool out of yourself by attempting to trick 
God. By thinking you're going to trick him, the one that's going to be fooled is going to be you. Don't let that be something that happens or becomes normal in your life. Don't let that be a normative stance in your life that, man, I'm going to figure out a way to trick God. God knows. God, God, and here's the thing. God's not surprised. What you did yesterday, God's not surprised. What you did, what you're going to do next week, God's not going to be like, oh. he's not going to be shocked. He's going to be very, very um, unimpressed. He's not, yeah, I know. How many guys have ever to yourself said, man, I can't believe I did that? Anybody? God has never said, man, I can't believe you did that. He knows. The scripture says he knows the beginning from the end. He knows the entire thing. He knows the the beginning of the story to the end of the story. He knows it all. There's no point where he's going to be like, he's not doing that. He knows everything. And so the question is, why try to hide it? Like we as human beings, we try to hide our sin. Anybody? I have. Tried to hide my sin. Tried to, tried to not. I don't want people to know. I don't, well, I don't want God to know. Well, God already knows. God was there when you were doing it. Like that's the thing that blows my mind after I've sinned. And I'm thinking to myself, God was right there the whole time. God was with me in the midst of it. He, he was there while I was doing it. He wasn't shocked, but he was in the moment. He was there with me. He was there with you. He knows you did it. Last week in Sunday school, we talked about Psalms 32. It tells us what happens when people hide from God. Um, I unpacked it a little bit in Sunday school last week, but Psalms 32 verse 3 says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. When we try to hide our sins, man, our, our, like our physiological, anybody, your bones just hurt when you've tried to hide your sin? Your, you've, the conviction there? And we, my bones wasted away. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God's hand of conviction might be heavy on you, but convicting you, and my strength was dried up as in a, the heat of summer. So in the midst of July when it's 112 degrees and you're just exhausted because you've walked from your car to your front porch... That's that idea of like, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's heavy on you and it's hard to move. Now look what happens when you do acknowledge, when you do repent, when you do confess. Verse 5 of chapter 32 in Psalms, he says, I acknowledge my sins to you. Like, here's the thing. You don't have to come to me and confess your sins to me. I'm not your priest. I'm not the guy that can bring you. Oh, I've got to confess my sins to the pastor. No, you don't. You don't have to confess your sins to anybody here. It's Christ that brings forgiveness. It's Christ that does the, the work in your life. So I, I acknowledged or I repented of my sins to you. And I did not cover my iniquities. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's good news. Like when you're willing to repent of your sins, God's able to forgive your iniquities. The weight that is lifted off of us when we repent is unreal. Amen? Like it's unreal the weight that is taken off of us. Look at the second half of verse 7. God's not mocked. Whatever one sows, he will also 
reap. Whatever one sows, one reaps. This is a farming agricultural picture. So we've got farmers all through the room. So this should be pretty, pretty you know, self-explanatory to the farmers in the room. When, I, when you throw seed out and you, you sow your seed in your, in, your, in your field, what are you expecting? You expect a harvest, right? You all awake? Just double checking. Throw out seed. No farmer's going to be like, you know, I'm going to throw my seed out. And then then, uh, six months, eight months later, they're just like, man, I'm not expecting anything to happen. If nothing happens, the farmer's going, man, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Like, something's wrong. Know this. The idea, this this agricultural idea, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap the flesh. If you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap the spirit. When we sow the seeds that we need to sow, we are to expect a harvest and potentially a larger harvest. So that's the same idea in the text here. Those that, that whatever you sow, this will all you also reap. For one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. So when you're sowing fleshly things, sinful things in your life, I mean, that's going to manifest itself in your life later on. But if you're doing that with the Spirit... You're going to reap eternal life. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap a harvest of worldliness and fleshliness. If you sow to the spirit, then godly things will be reaped out of your life. Righteousness will be a harvest. Holiness will be a harvest. If you're spending all now, like here's the thing, the idea of sowing to the flesh. If we're spending all of our time on our phones or in front of a television or with, a, with our earbuds in and we're, we're sowing filthiness, if we're reading filthiness, if we're watching filthiness, the, the reaping will be filth. Psalms chapter one, 101 verse 3 says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Other translations say vulgar or filthy. I hate the works of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. So David says, and I, I will set before my eyes no unclean thing. I, I will set before myself no unclean or filthy thing. The idea in the text is that I, I'll avoid things that are not godly whatsoever. I'm not going to try to be satisfied. I'm not trying to quench the thirst of, of, of my life with things that are worldly. One of the illustrations that I've used with my boys often, often, and with students in general, is the idea of if I'm thirsty, if I grabbed Austin and Gabe and Cameron and Landon and I said, hey guys, come here really quick. I need, to, man, I'm so thirsty. You guys grab a cup, grab a couple cups, man, I'm thirsty. And I went back to this bathroom and we dipped into the toilet and I said, okay, drink up. Drink up, fellas. Let's go. Come on. I'm th- Are you thirsty? Yeah, you said you're thirsty. Let's get a drink. Come on, guys. Let's go. It might, in the moment, quench the thirst. Right? It's water. But, man, there's unseen things in that water that could potentially, down the road, cause harm to your body. Amen? 
This is gonna, and if you continually, man, if I'm constantly just, man, I'm thirsty, I'm just continuing to go back to the toilet and get water out of my toilet and drink water out of my toilet, eventually, it's a very good chance it could kill me. That's the same idea of looking at things that are filthy. Pornography, listening to, to music that has filthy, denigrating lyrics to women and just filthy lyrics in general. And you see, you see that in, oh, I can filter that stuff out, pastor. No, we can't. I'm convicted in my own life because I've watched television shows that have bad language. I've listened to music that's had bad language. And man, it's wrong. Amen? It's like, I will set no more, I will set no impure thing before my eyes. I will listen to no impure thing. But I love that like, I did not tell you to sing this song. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Like, as kids, we sing that. And as we get older and we get adults, we're like, oh, that's just for the kids. No, that's for you and me too. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you Say, I'll oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. If we fill our lives with sin and unrighteousness, uh, that's going to be the thing that we reap. That's going to be the thing that you and I reap in our lives is a whirlwind of unrighteousness. That's what we're going to reap. And as a result of reaping that, our lives will be chaotic. Our lives will be chaotic when sin is present. Now, I understand that there's pleasure in sin for a season, but there will be chaos in our lives if we allow sin to just run rampant as a lot of people do. The one who sows to the flesh will reap to the flesh. But then he keeps going to verse 8. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap what? Eternal life. Eternal life. If you're actively engaged in the things of God's Holy Spirit, you will reap eternal life. Spending Now, vice versa, I said if you spend time looking at, listening to things in the world, you're going to reap these things. If you spend time actively engaged in the things of God, looking at righteous things, listening to righteous things like the Word of God, reading the Word of God, singing godly music, meditating and praying on these things, repenting and living a life for Jesus. This is what's going to flow out of you. Righteousness. Righteousness. Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They'll be everlastingly satisfied. Um, <laughs> the idea of righteousness, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Listen to this. I'm turning to it just like everybody else, but listen to Romans 8, 9. It says this. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is 8, 8, verse 9. You, whoever, are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 
So this idea, if you've got Christ in you, if Christ is in your life, you're going to exude, you're going to show off, you're going to exemplify the things that are holy, the things that are Christ-honoring. You, whoever, that are in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in in you. If the Spirit of God is not in you, you don't belong to Him. If the Spirit of God is in you, then what's going to come out of you is going to be a longing for the things that God longs for. You're going to see the things that God wants you to see. If the Spirit of God is in you, you're going to long for the things that God longs for. God will be manifested in your world and the world around you. People around you will take Notice, they're gonna, you're going to look different, you're going to sound different, you're going to be different than the world, amen? There will be a desire to see Jesus made much of. You're, there's going to be a desire to see God's kingdom burst. There's going to be a desire to see God's kingdom come into the, even this place. Even in this moment, you're going to have a desire to say, God, I want, I want your kingdom to be here. Because the kingdom of God's already in my heart. Like, let's start... That, that idea of dominion theology, where we're, we're taken over. Like that's, Christ is taken over. Like there's no stopping the kingdom of God. I don't care what the world tries to throw at it. Christ's kingdom will be established. Amen? It's coming. It's coming. But if Christ is in you, there will be a desire to see Jesus made much of. And, and here's the thing. If there are things that are not truly, ha- these things are not happening in your life, there's a good chance that you're not saved. If you don't have a desire to see Christ made much of, if this kind of stuff that we're doing here, if these songs don't stir your affection towards the things of God, if these words that we're reading are just sort of kind of like, yeah, I know. <sighs> don't care. Like that's a good indicator that you have no thing or you have nothing of Christ in you. You have no desire to know Christ. You might not be saved. You might think you are, but you might not be. So therefore, you need to take a self-inventory and ask yourself, am I saved? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Ask God to reveal himself to you and then repent where necessary. Sometimes when we are in the midst of sowing what is spiritual and we're following Christ, it can feel like an uphill battle. It's going to feel like an uphill battle. Like here's the thing, like we're running, Christians are going against the grain of culture. I'll never forget when Jamie got saved. I mean, she, she was an individual who thought she was a believer. She thought, man, I'm a Christian. I, I've low and followed Jesus. And then she understood, oh, wait. She understood the depths of her own depravity. Not, not the world's sin, but her own personal sin. When she started to understand that, she was like, wait a minute. I'm not a believer. I'm not a Christian. I'm not truly saved. So she repents and believes and follows Christ. And then, I mean... What we've been given in the TBN religious world is if you get Jesus, everything's going to go awesome for you. You're going to get a great bank account. You're going to have an incredible house. Your marriage is going to be amazing. There's never going to be any problems. Everything's going to be awesome. Is that the truth? No. (laughs) No, it's not the truth. 
The truth is that man, when you go against the world, what did Jesus call Satan? He's the prince of the power of this world. So when you go against the world, man, it's coming after you. I'll never forget. I mean, it's just a few months after Jamie got saved, she's just like, she, and she blamed it on me at first. She goes, my life was fine until I married you. I said, no, think about that. Your life was fine until you understood your sinfulness and you repented and followed Christ. And so you were going with the world. You were, you were on the, on the, you're going downstream with the world. Now you've, you've repented and you've turned and you're swimming against. Man, there's, there's days it's going to feel like an uphill battle. There's going to be days where you're just going to be like, whoo, anybody? You're just like, man, this is tough. This is a hard day. This is difficult. Yeah, there's going to be difficulties. If you're truly following Christ, it will feel like some days will be an uphill climb and it's not working. But let me promise you, it's working. Don't give up. Keep pressing forward. Keep moving on in the power of Jesus Christ. Keep moving forward. Don't give up. What do we, what's it say in verse 9? Let us not grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary. Like I know that there's going to be days you're going to feel like, man, this is it even worth it? I can promise you it's going to be worth it. And I can promise you those, the, the saints that have gone on before us would tell you they could lean over the banister of heaven and be like, yeah, let me tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it. Don't Grow weary in doing good. In a fallen world, in a fallen world, you're going to struggle. We live in a sin-fractured world. It's not supposed to work right now. When sin entered the equation, everything busted up. Everything's messy. Everything's busted and not working correctly. God told Adam, listen... Now, because of your sin, you're going to work, you're going to work, and you're going to work, and everything's going to war against you. The ground is going to war against you. Your house is going to war against you. The structure of your house is going to war against you. The family that's in your house, they're going to war against you. Uh, Anytime I do marriage counseling with anybody, I I tell them, listen, listen. When you put two sinful human beings under a roof together, the one of them wants their way and one wants their way, it's never going to have every day going to be marriage bliss. There's going to be days of marriage of marital bliss. But there's going to be also days where you're going to want your way, she's going to want your way, and man, it's going to be World War III. And then on top of that, you sprinkle in a little two or three or four little sinful human beings in your house with you. Recipe for a party. <laughs> Woo! Like, the scripture made a promise to us when Adam and Eve sinned. So listen, everything's going to be messy. Everything is going to work against you. But don't give up. Keep pressing. Don't grow weary in doing good. For what? In due season, in due season, you will reap what? 
you reap good. Don't, don't give up. In due season, you will reap if you do not give up. If you do not give up. Don't give up. If you don't give up and you keep pushing forward and you advance the cause and the mission and the kingdom of God in this place where you are, man, you're going to reap a harvest that is going to be tenfold, hundredfold, a thousandfold. Don't stop. So then, verse 10. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. This is the Greek word that refers to a very distinct, fixed point in time. When you have the idea of opportunity, you have an opportunity. This is a, a, a word that means a, a refers to a very distinct and fixed point of time. This is pointing us towards your time in your life. You have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to do good to everyone. This points us towards doing what's right. And when you're sowing in the spirit, you and I are going to have a desire and the ability to do good to everyone. When you and I are sowing towards the spirit, we're going to have a desire to want to uh, do good to everyone. We are going to have, at times, we're going to be willing to serve people around us if we're sowing to the Spirit, especially those that are in the fellowship of believers. John MacArthur says, our love for fellow Christians is the primary test of our love for God. Our love for our fellow Christians is the primary test of our love for God. And you say you love God, you better love me. If I say I love God, I better love you. We shouldn't just tolerate one another. Like I love, like Jamie often, when people get saved, she's like, listen, you're stuck with me now. <laughs> you're stuck with me all eternity. We don't just tolerate one another. We're called to love one another. When the idea of loving one another, you're not just like, if I just said, man, I tolerate my wife. I don't tolerate my wife. I adore my wife. Like there's days that we, like I said, you're going to have days where you're going to, but overall, and I adore this woman. She's mine and I'm hers. Yeah. When we are in the spirit, when we're sowing towards the spirit, we're going to, do good towards people. We shouldn't just tolerate. We should have a strong affection, a strong desire to love each other and to do good towards each other. And we should be looking for avenues. The scripture says, look for ways to outdo one another and honor one another. Like that should be our primary, our, our primary directive as Christians is to look for ways to honor one another. Now, likewise, now if we're showing, if we're sowing to the, Spirit, this is what we should be doing. We should be doing good for one another. Likewise, if we're sowing to the flesh, we won't have time for one another. We will find that everything and everyone around us is annoying if we're sowing to the spirit. I'm sorry, if we're sowing to the flesh. If we're sowing to the flesh, everyone will be, now I can't stand that guy. 
Man, I can't stand that woman. These kids are dumb. Man, I can't stand anybody. If everyone who is around you is always annoying and they're always bothering you and they're always an irritation to you, that is a good indicator that you are sowing to the flesh and not to the spirit. Because what's one of the fruits of the spirit? Love. What's one of the big ones? Long suffering. You're able and willing to patiently walk with your fellow believers because Christ has patiently walked with you. If you're not willing to patiently walk with people around you, that is a very good indicator that you're not sowing to the spirit, you're sowing to the flesh. And if that's the case, then you need to repent and follow what Christ has given you to do. You and I are able and willing to patiently walk with our fellow believers because of what Christ has done in our lives. Let's just take the test. Has Christ forgiven you? Yeah? Has he? And that's, the, the, the Bible also says in Psalms, let the redeemed of the Lord, the, the redeemed of the Lord say so. Has Christ redeemed you? Yes. Has Christ forgiven you of much? So if Christ has forgiven you of much, you should be able to forgive your fellow believers, your fellow human beings of much. If you're, if you're just, you don't know what they did. You don't know how they treated me. You don't know the direction that they did. You don't know how they acted. You don't know what they said. No, but I know what they, what they said is not even, even in the same ballpark as what you did to Christ. And Christ forgave you. So you should be able to patiently walk with people because Christ has patiently walked with you. Why? Because the spirit that's in you of Christ is going to exude out. The spirit of Christ is going to be in you and it's going to be the, the mechanism that gives you the ability to walk patiently with those around you. So what are you sowing to? Are you sowing to the flesh? Are you sowing to fleshly desires or are you sowing to the spirit? These questions have lasting consequences or lasting blessings. If you need to repent today, oh, that you would. Oh, that you would. Jesus came from heaven to earth so that you and I might be able to go from earth to heaven. He was born of a virgin so that you might be able to be born again. Oh, that you would know him. Oh, that you would put your hope in him. Oh, that you would. I've been reading this book uh, by John MacArthur called The Right, right Thinking in a World Gone Wrong. It says this in this last chapter. Since we began the chapter talking about bro- the brokenness of the world. I just told you guys the world's fractured. Even unbelievers recognize this fact. But the solution cannot be found in science, politics, philosophy, or any other human endeavor. Likewise, those who put bandages, likewise, those that put bandages on cancer, sinners err when they are fo- when they're focused on on temporal material fixes for eternal, significantly spiritual problems. 
So if I came in here and said, listen, I got cancer and I just put a band-aid on my arm. You'd be like, Caleb, that's not going to fix it. Politics aren't going to fix the world. The Republican Party, the Democrat Party, the Independent Party, they're not going to fix the plight of the human being. In fact, they're just a symptom of the problem of human beings. These temporary fixes, we can just have, we can just legislate something better. You're never going to legislate morality. You're never going to legislate this thing. Man, if, why? Because there are real, eternal, significant spiritual problems. And the reality is that our world is broken and cannot ever be fixed until God creates a new one. Nor can the broken hearts of those who inhabit our world, they'll never be fixed until God gives them a new heart. Your problems will never be fixed until you get a heart transplant from the great physician. You're never going to have your problems fixed. You're never going to have anything. You can't be good enough. You can't white knuckle your way to the top. You can't ever make it without Christ first giving you a new heart. Thus, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only lasting hope the world has. Amen? That is the only lasting hope that the world has. So what are you sowing towards? Are you sowing towards the flesh trying to get yourself? And I was, if I can get, man, if I can, all I need really is another self-help book. If I can just go and get another self-help book or go to another seminar where they're, I of the tiger. Yes, I got this. That's what I need. No, that's not what you need. All you're doing is, is trying to just fix, you know what you're doing? You're taking a dead corpse and putting, sprinkling powder on it to make it smell good. It's still a dead corpse. It needs to be brought to life. How does that happen? Christ has to be the one who brings you to life. Christ has to ignite your heart and bring your, your stone cold dead heart back to life. Christ is the one who brings you to life. If you're sowing to the spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. But if you're sowing to the flesh, you're going to receive eternal death. So the question is, what are you sowing towards today? And if you need to repent today, if you're like, man, that's me. I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. Guess what? You're in good company. All of us are a mess. All of us are a mess. We've all fallen short. There's nobody that sinned worse than you. And consequently, there's nobody that's better than you. We're all the same. We're all fallen. We've all sinned greatly in the sight of God. But through the, the shed blood of Christ, Christ has stepped in and said, Come and see what I've got for you. Psalms 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. And blessed are the man or woman who takes refuge in him. Will you take refuge in him today? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Well, I, uh, 
We had a 